Hello, coffee friends. Thanks for checking out this episode of Weird Coffee. So if you are listening to this, you are probably a spooky coffee club member. And I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for all the support throughout the years and uh, especially these fun little coffee art projects that we get to share with you all. It really makes everything so much more special for us. So yeah, thank you for being here. And uh, yeah, we're going to start with the probably my favorite of the offerings this year oh this is todd by the way i do all of the artwork and i'm still pretty involved in the coffee program with vic and tara and the rest of the crew so i'm going to start this episode off talking a little bit about this shipment of coffee that you are about to check out this one's from our good friends the true coffee magicians at la palma el toucan and uh it's part of their hero series which is one of the highest uh, rated coffees that they have and it's just something extra special that we love and feel uh, particularly lucky to be able to take part in and roast. So this is what we wanted to start the Spooky Club off with. And this is a particularly special one. It's the first year that we've bought this kind of rare varietal, the Takisic varietal. And it's a natural process that has uh, undergone anaerobic processing for 116 hours. And then it was dried on raised beds for roughly 37 days and had a mechanical drying time of 19 hours. So that is the rough breakdown of the process. And we're just getting some uh, wild fruit notes, just so much smooth, tropical, uh, really big kind of uh, grilled pineapple and just beautiful uh, floral notes to back it up, which is uh, not something that you always get out of these natural processes, but seems to be inherent in this uh, uh, rare Takisic varietal. So that's a little bit of a ba- of the background for this coffee. And as far as brewing recommendations, we really haven't made a bad cup of this yet, but uh, our go-to has been our standard Kalita Wave brew recipe with 20 grams of coffee to 300 grams of water. And we're doing that with a 80-second uh, bloom time so a bit longer of a bloom time and then we are doing it with two pours over about uh, two minutes so it's a pretty quick brew and you know like I always like to say anything within those parameters or close to it is going to taste great and I mean just brew it however you think is going to be fun for you because it's just one of those coffees that I don't think you can really mess up so no matter what you do you're going to love this one Uh, this first shipment also has our Devil's road blend and that has been a real crowd favorite for a while now so this is uh, a great chance for y'all to check it out as a little bit of a bonus coffee and thank you for being a part of this club so that's what we got for you on the coffee end of things today stick around to hear the urban legend behind the artwork on the bag which is all about the selbyville swamp monster aaron and i discuss the legend and the hoax and all the fun that it brings so stick around to check that out drink coffee and stay spooky. I'll talk to you soon, friends. Quick content warning. This show is created for adult audiences and covers some adult content, so be mindful before listening. Thank you for everything, and enjoy the show. And today I have Aaron Silva. Hi, Aaron. How you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Are you ready to hear some weird, t- yeah, some weird stories? <laughs> oh yeah. Awesome. So we're gonna start with a local tale. This is uh, 
probably Delaware's only real cryptid account, uh, and maybe. I don't know if it's the best known of all of the Southern urban legends, but it's at least the most prominent one I could find out there. It's called the Selbyville Swamp Monster. Have you Mm. heard about this critter at all? I had never heard of it um, until you started talking about it. Awesome. Well, (laughs) it's one of my favorites, and it covers a lot of uh, things that I love about the paranormal as far as hoaxing and what that could mean for the overall phenomenon. So the way this is going to work is I'm going to read a little bit of uh, the story and the breakdown, and we'll kind of talk our way through it. So uh, without further ado, here we go. Southern Delaware is one of those places that feels older than time itself. Once you get away from the beach towns traveling down roads lined with chicken coops, farmland, and nature, you find yourself feeling like you're in the middle of nowhere after not very long at all. Would you agree with that, Aaron? You grew up slightly south south of where we're at now, right? I would definitely agree with that. And where you grew up was before the chicken coops. Like, Smyrna's still a little north of farmland, or does the farmland start around there? When I lived there um, when I was younger, it definitely was... mostly farmland it's mostly. definitely developed a lot now uh, but i mean my old neighborhood across the street and both ways all farm all farm all of it everywhere that's, you looked and you could see the stars and that's um, so cool yeah, chicken Not, coops and chicken coops yeah corn lots and lots of corn <laughs> for our listener friends between delaware is made up of uh, wilmington at the top an air force base chicken coops and the beaches at the bottom so <laughs> where we're going today is down at the bottom it's in uh, the swamps to pretty much a little bit away from the beaches where it's the northernmost collection of cypress trees in uh, the united states which is really cool and i think adds a little bit magical elements to this space so uh yeah it's here in the town of selbyville that lives one of delaware's oldest legends the selbyville swamp monster now this stories of the swamp monster go back to the early 1900s late 1800s and have been passed down mainly orally this whole time there's not many written accounts before the main one we're going to talk about here the little bit i could find online pretty much describes screams in the woods lots of uh hairy styled shadows chasing people and your general kind of what sounds like a big footish type character running around in the swamps but maybe skunk ape style are you familiar with skunk ape at yeah. all okay yeah yeah. yeah yeah he's one of my favorite big feats down in florida he really does goods um so i'm kind of getting those vibes and again this is the northernmost batch of cypress trees and it's the only i've only been there uh to trap pond which is right. next to I've where been wanting to go camping there oh it's beautiful and like has some of the best hiking and the Cypress trees, the way they rise from the swamp. Maybe it's because by the time I went there, I'd already been really into swamp thing and have kind of <laughs> that like really creepy version. But I don't know. It just there's something really creepy about that whole area in general and the way those trees just kind of poke out of everything. So. Uh, As the stories of the Swamp Monster grew over time, it inspired a Selbyville resident, Fred Stevens, to bring these tales to life. In 1964, Stevens, with the idea of boosting newspaper sales, he was working with the newspaper. I can't really tell if he was like a journalist because he was young, so I don't think he was like working for the newspaper. His friend was the journalist, journalist, so it sounds like he was trying to help his friend out and boost some sales. So he would dress up in his aunt's raccoon furs and (laughs) made a mask, and he would hide in the swamp and scare. Pretty much teens that would be out there trying to cause mischief, it sounds like. And it sounds like he did this for a good chunk of time until he got a little too scared himself of uh, drunken monster hunters, which was a very... shot by a drunk guy in a truck. (laughs) And I mean, I could definitely see that in the middle of Southern Delaware. Once you get down there... Oh, yeah. That's all that there was when I... Like, even in Smyrna. Yeah. Yeah. It was just... 
what else do you do? Did you have like a legend like this, like in around where you grew up? That we didn't you didn't have a well, we didn't have swamps. a swamp monster. <laughs> um, we had a there was like a couple of those like you know the Devil's Road where if you like put your car in neutral, it would roll backwards. Like, oh, those are some of my um, favorites. Yeah, I did you ever do it? I I did not do it, but I um I don't think I had a car when I first heard about <laughs> it. And by fair. the time I had a car, I was like ah, I'm out of here. Who needs yeah. this? <laughs> no, those are really cool, and I know I like listened... they're everywhere you go. There's at least one of those. Yeah, like, yeah, they're up there with like the hitchhiking ghost or the baby uh, crybaby bridges yeah. and things like that that are we, some... okay it was called crybaby bridge really i guess there's always a crybaby bridge okay like, those literally what we called did it. did it have a story that you're familiar with i mean the only it? story i ever heard was if you go out there um after midnight and you turn your car and you turn it to neutral you'll hear a baby crying your car will start to roll the opposite way that okay. it, than it should if you're like you know downhill it'll totally it'll like roll the other way and there's like gonna be like a shadowy witchy figure Whoa. at the bottom. Okay, so there is an entity associated yeah. with it. Because some of these, like, uh, I think I've heard them called like, like I mystery. think the baby died or something. Yeah. Like so she, usually there's you know. a usually there's a story where the mother is in some distress and has to uh, essentially kill the kid to, for the better of the kids. I don't know exactly. I can't remember the specific tales, but definitely has something to do with dead babies and uh, yeah. and the kind of horrible things that that will leave behind. But what What's super interesting is that with Crybaby Bridges, at least to my knowledge, and I'm not like the most ghost expert or anything, but I haven't always heard those with that mysterious gravity uh, kind of thing going on. There's a lot of those where it's just like mystery gravity spots that like, and I've heard uh, some skeptics or more uh, scientific people say that there's something to do with like the way that the road is set up that it kind of makes you feel like you're moving, but you're not actually moving or something along those lines. There was some sort of natural phenomenon I've heard people explain this with, but my brain is just kind of littered with these things anymore <laughs> with the amount of uh, podcasts I listen to. But that's so cool that that I have to look into more of the, the uh, backstory about that. It there, might be closer towards um, like Blackbird Forest area. Maybe okay. Maybe towards there when he start researching. That's cool. I'm going to check that out. So yeah, that's, uh, that's really awesome. Is there anything else that you had like that growing up or was that the big one? I think that was like, that, yeah. That was the I one. mean, there wasn't a lot going That's, on in Smyrna. <laughs> no, I mean, you just, uh, anytime I would learn about a new Delaware urban legend, I get really excited. So you just uh, <laughs> added to my repertoire there. So yeah, essentially this dude hoaxed until he couldn't hoax anymore because he was afraid that it was going was to... get shot. <laughs> totally. But this was in 1964 and the original accounts start way back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So to me, uh, this is a classic case of where there is a phenomenon or a very just liminal space like like I was saying that uh, batch the fact that's the batch of the last cypress trees I think there's probably some sort of inherent weirdness to that and when people experience places with things that they're not used to seeing in that area I feel like it leads to these type of experiences so I didn't do or I haven't been able to research enough to figure out whether these stories were from indigenous people of the area or how far back they actually go but I'd be really interested to know because I think when hoaxes come about they almost lend an air of credibility to certain phenomenon as weird as that sounds. And I, I don't know. I kind of wanted to get your opinion on this whole thing and what you think, like, do you think there could have ever been a Selbyville swamp monster or what do you think it was just this dude made it up in 64, like had a bunch of old stories from around and just kind of like, that's what it was keeping kids out of the, fo- the swamps. Mm. I think it's totally possible that once upon a time, someone saw something uh-huh. and they just started spreading 
the story and, you know, tall tales, they get crazier as time goes by. It's like telephone and people add things and they want to make it more exciting when they tell someone else. Totally. I think there's a lot of, um, in our society, uh, adults will take a story and use it against kids. When I actually, now that I'm thinking about this back in Frederick, Uh there was a uh, storm drain that our parents would always say, don't go near there. Because there's a troll that lives down there. Don't go near it what? because the troll will get you. And there was there was always money down there, like coins and stuff. Uh-huh. And they were like, don't go down there or the troll will get you. So it's like, I feel like, you know, like Santa Claus and, and all these totally. things, like adults will use these magical things mm-hmm. to like get kids to understand. They u- there's like a point that is like, be good and Absolutely. don't do this bad thing. But they use like this magical creature or something you know, sometimes it's like positive or totally. sometimes it's scary like the troll. Yeah. Um that makes a lot of sense. My mom is missing uh these three well uh her middle finger and her pinky finger, the tips of them, because she dropped her school books in a storm drain, tried oh, to get no. them out and had to get her fingers cut off to get well, the, they got stuck in there? They got, her hand got stuck in the storm oh, drain and the fire uh fire pollu- or I guess with the fire fire, fire department, the fire department had to cut <laughs> her finger off essentially Jeez. like the tip of her finger. So her fingers look all wild. And oh like, I was one of those if things. If she had thought the troll was down there, she probably would have just nev- left the book. Exactly. Book's been gone. So I think there's something to that for sure with the way these things start. Like if you, as an, as a child, if you just have an adult say no, you're like, I don't care about that. I'm oh, going to yeah. do it. I can, uh, I can testify to that. It's like the whole <laughs> book. It is like probably stems yeah. off of, you know, that whole situation where it's like is it real is it not real totally i definitely think there's something to it and the other side of hoaxing that i really like and i think there's uh this is kind of somewhat of a new thought that i've just been uh kind of mulling over again after this conversation i had with my buddy jordan is that hoaxing really could be part of the phenomenon like the phenomenon like could set up hoax like they people could be inspired to hoax for a specific reason. And like, there's a lot, the guy, uh, there's a paranormal investigator, I guess you would call him from back in the day, Gray Barker, who he coined the term men in black. He's credited Mm. with a lot of the initial lore with that, but he's also one of the biggest hoaxers. Like he is known and is very upfront that like, yeah, I hoaxed a bunch of stuff. And he had a lot of, uh, what he says are credible accounts or, you know, experiences as well. But it's almost like they use the hoaxing to try and generate more real experiences. If well, I mean, that makes if there, sense. if someone did see the Selbyville swamp monster, isn't it technically real? Yeah, absolutely. And Whether like, he was a man in a suit, totally. Or not, and I, mean, I don't. They saw it. I think the hundred <laughs> percent that makes it real. And I think that uh, there's something to uh, the idea of tulpas and like if there is an area that's being driven to, like he said, it was getting overrun by people coming to monster hunt. All of that energy and that intention, it's gonna make like. And it's one of those things that gets into that weird time stuff where can the attention intention that is being put into it from those people in the 60s make a monster that's real in the 1900s like can like is time able to uh kind of retroactively work like that or what we would perceive to be retroactive you know i don't know there's a lot there's a lot of that uh kind of thought with the ghost phenomenon and like time slips and things along those lines that always it I don't hear it be applied to us uh, kind of cryptid monster encounters as much that I think would be interesting to start looking into yeah. and like what causes what, but at the end of the day, I think it's super fun and a great story. And one of those things that like, it's what the paranormal is 
best at, which just makes you talk about some weird stuff yeah. and think about th- think about the swamps of Delaware, which I just don't do ever. So <laughs> it's uh, yeah, if nothing else, it's great for that. <laughs> um, so that's pretty much everything for the story today. Is there anything you want to leave the folks with there, Aaron? Uh, I just love the idea of the guy dressing up in his aunt's coat to like <laughs> make furs. money for the newspaper. I don't think it? I've like, ever seen raccoon furs in real life. Was it like, raccoon? Oh man. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he said raccoon furs. And like, I have a couple pictures here. Like, I don't know how much of a deep dive you did on the Google. Uh, I read, but you know, the one thing. Yeah. And, well, I watched the YouTube video. Um, I did on the YouTube video, you see the mask and it looks it just like pieces of leather. kind of. Yeah. Like. That's kind of what I got out of it. But this looks much more like it's one of those things that if you dig back to, uh, there's a couple children's books, or not children's books, but little stories written about in those illustrations, which I'm not pulling up right now, of course, are the ones that I like the most. And they have, like, it's essentially a uh, Bigfoot swampy-looking dude with a baseball bat and some spikes. And I'm like, okay, the baseball bat and the spikes, like, that's a real hard touch right there. Um, But, (laughs) again, it's uh, one of those things that just makes it all that much weirder and just kind of... Uh, I'm, I guess I'm glad it happened. I mean, Delaware really doesn't have too much stuff like this. So. Yeah, we really don't. Yeah, I my, mean, we're also like so small. We could be sucked up by like every state that's, that's like very surrounding true. us. So. Very true. But yeah, I'm glad we have one thing. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So that's pretty much everything for this episode. We're going to be doing this for all three weeks and going over the urban legend associated with each coffee. And if you have any questions, comments, you want to tell us about your urban legends, go ahead and send us a or comment below. Send us emails. I don't know how you get in touch with us at this point. We'll figure it out. <laughs> anyway, enjoy your day. Talk to you later. Bye.